Good morning, sleepyheads. I know y'all are uh, missing that extra hour of sleep. Don't worry, you can just take an extra nap this afternoon. And I tell you, I said this to the first service, but uh, between sickness and spring break and weather and time change, it seems like of the abundance of excuses not to, uh, not to be in God's house, it seems we, we, can all, we can always find them, right? But this is the Lord's day, and this is the day where we say, I'm going to prioritize everything else in my life around worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ, because he's worthy of praise. Amen? And I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you made it a priority today. And uh, we're going to continue in the series entitled, He is Able. Obviously, this is the title of a three-year giving campaign that's coming up that we're going to continue to talk about. But it occurred to me as we were preparing for this campaign that it could be that there are a lot of you that were unaware of the, uh, the original campaign, Arise and Tell. Now, maybe you've heard us speak about Arise and Tell, but it's likely that there are a great many of you that were not here whenever we did our first giving campaign called Arise and Tell, and whenever we built our newest building outside the lobby and the kids' area. And so I'm just kind of curious, how many of you here today, you, uh, you, have, you, you didn't start attending our church until 2019 or after, sometime 2019 or after? That's... That's, uh, that's, that's about half of you, maybe, something like that. And so uh, I, wanted to, I wanted to just give you a, a, just maybe a quick review as to why we built a building in the first place. And I think this first slide that I want to give to you today probably tells the story about as well as any slide that we have presented towards the church in recent years. But about three or four years ago, we did a careful study of our facilities and our capacity for all of our rooms, and we discovered that we were at 112% capacity in our preschool area. Uh, how many of you want to drop off your children in a preschool area that's at 112% capacity? Probably not many of you. And then in our, our kids area, our elementary age kids, it was uh, for all intents and purposes, it was at 100%. And so this is really what drove us to need to build a new building and to have our original campaign arise and tell. Now this second slide really shows you kind of what we wanted to accomplish and I think that we can all agree, three years later, we, we have, we've accomplished these things. Uh, we needed to expand our preschool and kids' ministry space. We have done that exponentially. We are nowhere close to being 100% capacity in kids' space now. It is much safer, much more organized uh, as far as the space is concerned. We needed to maintain the current number of adult life groups. We pretty much doubled our number of life groups. And then this third one, I almost didn't want to talk about this one three years ago because I thought, well, this is the least important of all, um, but we needed, to, we needed more gathering space. As it turns out, that gathering space has been a tremendous blessing for our church. To be able to stand around and talk to one another and fellowship with one another and engage each other in conversation and sip coffee has been an incredible blessing for us. And you pledged for our original building campaign, you pledged $2.3 million. And you can look in your bulletin and see that we have collected uh, almost 2.9, uh, really uh, almost almost $3 million. And so, so you outgave yourself. You, you gave more uh, than you thought. Last week, I gave you what I'll just call a, a big picture vision for our church. 
that I hope that you can see is so much bigger than a building, so much bigger than just a facility that we have put out in front. But our vision, our vision to build that building is connected to a broader vision of making disciples all over the globe. If you missed that message, I hope that you'll go, by, go, go back and you'll, you'll catch it online and listen to it. Because for me, that is the foundational big picture vision for really not just for while we build buildings, but, but while we do everything that we do. After all, it's all interconnected. This week, today, this sermon... I want to give you a, I want to give you a, I guess we call it a micro vision. A, 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 although it's not small, it's, it's, not, it's not micro as far as it's, it's, uh, uh, it, it's unimportant, but it's, it's smaller in that this vision is just going to encapsulate those in your immediate family circle. This vision is going to encapsulate how God has called us on mission to reach the people in our own household and specifically our children. I believe that God is able to launch us all over this globe to win people to Jesus. But sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes it seems like it's harder. I don't know how many of you are in the throes of parenting like I am. But sometimes it seems, seems like it's, it's more of a monumental task to do a good job for Jesus just with people right in my own home. And they're right there with me every day, all the time. And we talk a lot about a church, as we should, about how important it is to get on airplanes and deploy people all over the globe to win people in our city, win people in our nation, and win people in our world. But our mission starts right in our own home, with our own parenting. And if we neglect that mission, then we're really impairing ourselves from being able to, to, to accomplish a broader mission. I have to tell you, and just, just confess to you, that I somehow, I, I, I somehow sometimes get caught up in that trap of thinking that my job as a Christian starts with the Great Commission, all nations and leading our church to, to accomplish that. And I think like most men, I can get really caught up in my job, in my vocation, and, and in things I want to accomplish in my work that I neglect the most important things in my life, which is my personal spiritual walk, my personal relationship with my wife, my call to disciple my children and my family and those that are closest to me. And so I want to talk to you about that today. I want to talk to you about the importance of prioritizing reaching our kids and raising our kids with the gospel. And in doing that, I want us to revisit a passage of scripture. I don't know that I have ever I don't know that I have ever read and preached one passage of scripture to one group of people more in a shorter period of time than I have you and with Psalm chapter 78. But I want us to look at Psalm 78 through fresh eyes this morning. Stand with me. Psalms chapter 78. This, uh, th this, cha this, uh, this chapter contains the original verse for the original vision for, uh, for Rise and Tell. And I want us to read it together and talk about just the importance of parenting and reaching the next generation for Christ. Psalm 78 verse 1. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, 
things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Let's pray. Father, I just ask today that you would use the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart to bring glory to you and to exalt the name of Jesus and to encourage the parents and the grandparents in this place. God, we know that you have given us a special charge as parents to oversee our children's souls. God, not just to, to make sure that they have their physical needs met, but God, you have called us to make sure that they have their spiritual needs met. Help us, Lord, as parents to set the table for all spiritual food and nurture. Help us, Lord, to train them to be godly. And we offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, this message today obviously is directed towards parents, those of you who have children that are actively living in your home. However, I do believe that this message will also have direct bearing on those of you who are grandparents. I don't think that it is ever too late uh, to be a parent to a child, even if that child is even if that child is grown, even if you have grown children, you could take these principles and you could help your grown children be better spiritual leaders uh, for, for your grandchildren. So I don't, want you to, I don't want you to think today that somehow just because this message is directed towards those of you who are actively parenting kids, that it doesn't have any application really to everyone that is here in this place. And if you're like me, if you're like most parents, you want your, you want your kids to be okay. You want your kids to be healthy. Nobody wants their kids to be sick. You want your kids to be able to provide for themselves. I mean, after all, uh, you, you may not have a goal for your children to be, to be wealthy per se, but, but you want them to have a certain measure of wealth so that they can provide for themselves and for their family one day. You probably want them to get a good education. Uh, and all of us as parents, we want, we want these things for our kids. But what about their spiritual futures? I mean, what are we going to do? How are we going to actively be involved as parents and as grandparents in ensuring that our children have a spiritual future? And I can tell you, let me just give you a cheat sheet right up front, bringing them to church sporadically or even faithfully is not enough. I believe that the most critical thing, the most critical spiritual development that can happen in the heart of a child, it does not happen at church. It's not something that you delegate to us. It has to be something that happens in your home. Your children must receive the spiritual nurture that, that, that is required. They must receive the instruction and the training in the things of God under your roof, in your homes, nights, weekends, during the day, any of the time that you have for them. Those are the moments that you must disciple your children. You cannot delegate it to us. You, you cannot give it to us. 
This is why these parents spread themselves across this stage and they, they, they made a covenant. And many of you parents who have kids, you've done the same thing. You have made a covenant. You have taken the charge that God has given you to raise them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Our church and our kids' ministry and preschool ministry and student ministry and what we offer is just a tool that you use in discipling your kids. What you do in your home to model a spiritual life and to mold them as Christian people far outweighs what we do here at church. You may be able to send your child to a coach that teaches them how to play a sport. You may delegate the responsibility for education to a teacher. I certainly, there are things I can't teach my kids. Somebody else has to do that. You may, you may want your child to learn how to play an instrument and might delegate that authority. There's, there's a lot of things that you do as parents to say that I, I can't take responsibility for that. I'm going to recruit somebody else to do that. But you cannot do that with their spiritual care. It is your responsibility to teach them directly, to train them personally in the things of God. You cannot delegate that to Jennifer Anderson or to Adam Ferris or to any of the teachers or to Michael Whitaker or to any of his teachers or any of the leaders here at church. You must do that personally. Parents, you are raising kids in an evil, sinful world. Do you know the type of influences that your kids are receiving in public schools and through the internet? through their cell phones, with their peers and their friends, even people that they know at church? Do you, do you realize the evil influences that it's coming upon them? You have whole industries like the alcohol industry, the tobacco industry, the pornography industry that is targeting your kids at a young age. They know that if adults are not already addicted to these things, that they're not going to be able, they're not going to be able to reach adults with those things. They want to get them while they're children. The enemy has a plan for your children. Do you have a plan? Have you made a plan? Are you taking steps? Man, parenting is such a monumental task. I'm feeling the weight of it right now as a dad. I'm going to have three, I have three teenagers in my house right now. Y'all are supposed to go, oh my goodness, we're going to pray for you. Three teenagers. Do you know what teenagers are capable of? Oh my word. There's going to be a time I'm going to have five teenagers for two years. Two years of my life, I'm going to have five teenagers all at the same time. Mm, somebody got to help me. So what I want to present to you today, I just want to give you four basic principles from this passage Four basic principles that I just hope will be an encouragement to you, a challenge to you, um, and, th and that, will, that will be a help. Number one, the first thing that we see, not just in this verse, but in all of Scripture, is that children need to see the glory of God. They need to behold the glory of God, be captivated by God, and by who He is. Now, I know that we normally don't we don't normally think of it in that terms. Normally, we normally think, well, our kids need to be taught this or they need to learn that. I want to tell you today that our kids need to do more than learn and be taught the things of God. Our kids need to be captivated in their heart with just the glory and the majesty of who God is. 
We see that clearly, clearly in this passage, that they need to see the glorious deeds, his might and his wonders. Th their hearts and their souls need to be as captivated by God as anything else in their life whether it be some kind of extracurricular activity or whether it be a school sport or whether it be a certain topic in education or friends or peer groups or media, you name it. Our kids, they, they, they see glory in certain things and they're drawn to it and they get excited about it. Our kids need to have that with God. They need to learn that and, and be nurtured in that with God. And parents, they need to see it in you. Uh, Ted Tripp, who wrote uh, a really great book called Shepherding a Child's Heart. Anybody read that book, Shepherding a Child's Heart? If you had, it's old if you have it, if, uh, and you can get it pretty cheap on Amazon. You need to get that and read that. One of the things that he talks about is creating a Godward orientation in the heart of a child. That says in your discipline, you have to go deeper than, um, deeper than, than just um, uh, um, uh, 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 external, like a external obedience you know more than more than just uh, more than just behavioral obedience it has to be more than just that that in their heart they have to have a godward orientation that only happens whenever they whenever they behold the glory of god after all it makes sense they'll never reflect the glory of god unless they first behold the glory of god but what we see in these verses is uh, is something interesting he says, we will not hide them from their children. In other words, we're not going to hide the glory of God to where our children won't get it. Now, we see that and we think, well, God's people would never, or why, would, why would God's people hide the majesty and glory and the wonder of who God is? Why, why, why would they do that? And, and number, not only that, but how would they do that? Well, the answer to the how is idolatry idolatry this is what happened with ancient Israel ancient Israel got distracted by idols and they forgot about the Lord and they didn't cherish the Lord anymore and have you ever wondered what it what was so attractive about a little statue of Baal or a little statue of Ashtoreth or a little golden calf uh, that uh, th that was set up by the uh, the king in the northern uh, the northern kingdom of Israel for them to go. What what was it about these statues? Why, why would they do that? The interesting thing about these little statues, for example, Baal. Baal was a fertility god. He was the god of crops, and obviously their economy was based upon crops. I mean, the worship of Baal was nothing more than just our idol of materialism. Is all it was. The worship of Ashtoreth was, uh, Ashtoreth was, was a goddess of fertility, uh, fertility meaning more babies. Um, and, and back then, there was a certain social standing and a certain, uh, a, a certain economy that was built around having a lot of children. This is why people in the ancient world were polygamous, so that they could have lots of children. I mean, it, there was an idol that was based upon a worldly benefit that they needed. And all of the idols of ancient Israel were that way. They were trying to get their needs met through false gods rather than looking to the one true God in faith. And we do the same thing. We do the same exact thing. Do, do we not also, as modern Americans, do we not also have idols? Certainly we do. They're about, they're about six inches long 
and they have little screens on them, and we carry them around in our pockets. And we gauge in all forms of idolatry by looking at those things insatiably. We have other idols, though. We have like the idol of education. We think that if somehow our kids can just make good grades so that they could have good jobs, then everything will be okay. This was, this was an idol in my generation, by the way. I have, I, have three, I have three degrees on my wall, and there was a point in time that I could have made idol, I probably did idolize those things, and making good grades and getting a, getting a good education. Here's another one for you, an idol of sports. This is something that I see that is penetrating a lot of our families. I say our families, I mean, my family plays sports, many of your family play sports, but in modern, in modern America, it just seemed like sports have gotten so big in the lives of families to where we don't just play a certain sport in its season. Oh no, we also play that sport in its off season. And uh, we don't just play a sport in our own town, but we also have to travel to other towns to also play that sport. Now look, those of you who do travel sports, if you're a parent that does travel sports, you're tired. I know it. I know you are. You are tired, and you may like it, you may enjoy it, but you're tired, and your kids are tired. And when we do it all the time, I mean, think about these things. And here's, here, here's, 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 another, here's another idol for you. The church can become an idol. I'm just going to drop my kids off. They're going to get their moral and religious training, and I'm going to place all my faith in that. And really just the speed of life in which we live reflects a certain measure of idolatry. I heard this quote the other day. This said, you can't live at warp speed without warping your soul. Do you know it's okay to be bored? It's not socially acceptable. The idolatry of speed is everywhere around us. Just, just give it a try sometime. I've, I've mentioned this before. But just tell somebody, say, well, how you been? Oh, man, I've just been bored all week. I've just been relaxed. I hadn't done much work. I've just been taking it easy. They'll look at you like you're some kind of weirdo. Because what are you supposed to say? Well, how you been? Oh, I've just been busy. Because that's what you're supposed to do. I think, I think kids should be bored. I think they should be allowed to be bored. And, and, and family, I, th I think parents and kids should get together and be bored together and do something interesting. Talk to one another. Have a conversation. Be together and, and not always be doing things. Well, how do you know? And listen, I'm not saying any of these things. I'm not saying cell phones in and of themselves are evil. I'm not saying media in and of itself or movies or anything like that or video games in and of themselves are evil. I'm not saying that getting an education is always idolatry. I'm not saying that you should never play sports. I'm not saying that you should never play travel sports. I'm not saying that any of these things in and of themselves are wrong unless you begin to worship them. And here's a worship test. How do, you, how do you know if you're worshiping something? It's really easy. The thought of God telling you to stop or to give it up, how does it make you feel? How does it make you feel if God came up to you and said, I want you to stop that hobby. I want you to stop playing that sport. I want you to stop pushing so hard to make good grades. 
I want you to, I want you to pull back. How does it make you feel? If, if, if you want to stiffen up and argue with God over it, that's an indication that you are worshiping it and that it has become an idol in your life. And God's going to call you to sacrifice it. If you make an idol out of something, if you want to keep it, if you don't want to sacrifice it, you better get it in, you better get it in the check. That prized possession that you have, that materialistic thing that you just really love and it just, it's too big in your life, get it in check or God's going to say, take it and put it on the altar and sacrifice it. So that's the first thing that I really want to talk to you about is just this idea of idols, not hiding them, seeing the glory of God. Here's number two. Dads, fathers, fathers, you are desperately, desperately needed. In this passage right here, this is one of two times that it speaks about fathers being the ones that tell the kids and instruct the kids about the glorious deeds of the Lord. Now listen, moms, that doesn't mean that you play no part in it. That doesn't mean that you don't also do it. What this means is, is that the burden of responsibility, the God-given delegated responsibility is given to the husband, to the father, to spiritually nurture and train the kids. Now ladies, if you don't have that, if you're single, if you're a single mom, it does not mean that your, your kids cannot be nurtured. You can do it, but dads, God has delegated and called you to do it, to not be passive. To not just sit there and watch mom read the Bible to the kids, to watch mom be the primary motivator to attend worship, but for you to be the one out front. Listen, dads, the enemy wants to make you think that you're not needed. The enemy wants to make you think that you don't need to participate, but you do. And fathers, here's some things that I just want to encourage you. I just want to challenge you with. Here's some things that your kids need from you. They, they need to hear you pray. And I, and I don't just mean say a blessing. I don't just mean say, Lord, thank you for the food. Bless this, bless this mess. Amen. They need to hear you pray true, real prayers. They need you to pray over them. They need you to pray for them. They need to hear you pray for yourself. They need to hear you pray. Dads, your kids need to see the Spirit of the Lord making you holy. They need, to, they need to be able to watch you grow. They need to see you taking in the Word. They need to see changes happen in your life. Dads, they need to see you read the Word. Do you know where your Bible is, Dad? Do you, do you, do you know where it is? Do your kids ever see your Bible? Do they ever see it laying on the table after you've read it? Would they even know where to find it if I came to you and said, Hey, Dad, show me your Bible. Would you have to go through a drawer and dust, dust off the... Do you, do you, do you, even, have, do you even read it? They, you need to read it for yourself. But your kids, they need to see you read the Word. Dads, they need to have spiritual conversations with you. They need to talk about the things of God with you. They need for you to explain to them the meaning of Bible verses. They need you to coach them in the things of God. And in who God is in his character. Dad, they need to see you bring a Bible to church. Now, I know that some, for some of you, you have reasons not to. But I used, I used to be so legalistic and stubborn about this. 
my wife, uh, my wife got onto me. When I, when I first started pastoring, I refused to put Bible verses on the screen. I'd put my points uh, of my sermon on the screen, but I refused to put, my bi put Bible verses on the screen. And Kelly would say, now, why don't you put the Bible up there? I'm like, nope, they ought to bring their Bibles. If they don't bring their Bibles, I'm not putting it on screen for them. They need to learn to bring their Bibles. Isn't that, isn't that horrible and terrible and legalistic and mean for a pastor to have that kind of attitude towards his flock? Yes, it's very mean. Um, and, uh, of course, now I do that. But I used to be, I used to be so legalistic about that. Um, but dads, they need, to, they need to see you carrying your Bible, reading your Bible, taking notes during the sermon. They need to see you singing and praising the Lord. They need to hear your voice. It doesn't matter how bad it sounds. Dad, they need to hear you sing praise to a God that is worthy. Dad, I, Dad, I, know, you, I, I know you're intimidated by that, but listen. If you can coach soccer, if you can skin a deer, if you can change a carburetor, you can learn to do these things. If you can manage a complicated financial portfolio, if you can do a spreadsheet, if you can remodel a kitchen, you can learn to do these things. If you know how to, how to study all the stats of your famous, famous uh, favorite SEC team and your favorite football player, if you can be a great leader at work, you can learn to do that. You can do these things. Unless you're not saved. And, and dads, I'm just going to tell you, if you don't have a motivation to do these things, then may, maybe in your heart you don't have a motivation for the things of God in general. And that's a, that's a problem. But my suspicion is that most of you are sitting there saying, oh, I need to do that better. Oh, I need to do that better. Oh, I don't do that. And listen, my, 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 my purpose is not to give you guilt here today. I don't do these things perfectly. But our goal should be, and you can do these things, because we want to plan for a spiritual legacy. Look what, the, look what this passage says in Psalm 78, verse 6. I love this. This was the theme verse for a rise and tell. It says that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. There are four generations in view here. There's like my generation of parents, and then there's my kids, and then there's my grandkids, and then there's my great-grandkids. And the goal, and, and that's, that's how I apply this to me. Now, if you're older than me or younger than me, maybe it's a little bit different for you. But whenever I look at this, I think my great-grandchildren, no, excuse me, it might be my great-great-grandchildren, my, my great-grandchildren, whom I will probably never meet, I will because I started late in life. I didn't have my first child until I was 34. I probably will not see my great-grandchildren. I certainly won't see my great-great-grandchildren, but the legacy in this passage is those great-grandchildren or those great-great-grandchildren that you will never meet and that may not ever know your name, that they will be evangelists to the generation that comes after them. They will be, see, this is not... This is not just your legacy. This is our legacy. This is generational discipleship. We're all in this together. We need each other. I need you to help me disciple my kids. 
I do. And we all need each other to disciple. That, that's, why we, that's why we do parent-child dedications. And that's why you say, yes, amen, I'll assist these parents. Because, see, you don't just have influence in your own kids' lives. You know other kids that are running. And listen, if, if, if somebody knows you and trusts you and gives you permission to do so, then you need to pour yourself spiritually into other people's kids. It takes a tribe. Man, parenting is hard. Amen? I mean, it is just, it is just difficult. And we're, we're all in this together. And we want to leave a legacy. You know, there's, there's some people that came before us that left a legacy. I've showed you this picture before. Here's a picture from 1947. This was the original Stephen Street congregation. Look at all those children and look at all those parents. Look at them. I asked this in the first service and I was shocked. I said, there's nobody here that was in that picture. I said, anybody here in that picture? Two people raised their hand from the first service that were in that picture in 1947. I wonder if I can be surprised again. Anybody here in that picture from 1947? I didn't think so, all you young whippersnappers. <laughs> These people, I have this picture in my office. These are the only Stephen Street pictures that I have in my office. I don't know why, but I feel a connection to this group of people that have come before us. And you may say, well, I don't have any family members there. They're, I'm not living in their legacy. Well, really, you, you really kind of are. In the same way that we have a connection to the prophets of the Old Testament and to the apostles and the Christians of the New Testament, we have a connection to these people. These are Stephen Streeters, and they established a legacy of reaching future generations. And now, here we are. Here's another picture for you. January the 12th, 2020. This is a picture from whenever we uh, broke ground on this building. How many of you were there? How many of you were in that picture? You know, sometime, uh, sometime a long time from now, people are going to look back and they're going to see that picture. And they may not know who you are. Some of you might look back and say, I remember that picture. Here's another picture for you. Grand opening, May 2nd, 2021. Anybody see themselves in that picture? I think I know everybody, everybody whose face that I can make out, I pretty much know everybody in that picture. I wonder what that's going to look like. I want you to imagine with me 50 years from now, 50 years from now, 60 years from now, in the year 2082, in the year 2082, if my oldest child has a child at 25, and that child has a child at 25, and then that child grows up to be 25, that will be my great, or either my great-great-grandchildren, I, I can't count that high, but that'll be 2082, and I want that child to love the Lord, and if they're here, I want them to look back at those pictures and be like, I don't know a single soul, but I thank the Lord for what they did to invest in a future. Have you ever heard the phrase that it's been said that Christianity is only one generation from being extinct? Y'all heard that phrase before? Do you know that phrase is a lie? You know Christianity will never be extinct? We look at, we look at the book of Revelation, and we're still there. Christians are still there. 
Our legacy, is the, the Christian legacy, is going to continue until the end of time. But you may not have relatives that are a part of Christianity in future generations. If you don't raise your kids to be godly, and if those kids don't raise their kids to be godly, and if we don't pass on a legacy, then our place in Christianity, our posterity's place in Christianity could, could, could become extinct. And so really the question we need to ask ourselves is what are we going to do now in order to ensure that our children and their children have a spiritual future? And I believe that we just need, it's so simple, we set parenting goals that's based on the Word of God. Look, look at this. This is the whole reason of Psalm 78. This is, this is the outcome of what they want to see happen. So that they might set their hope in God. So that they might not forget the works of God. So that they might keep His commandments. Not be like their fathers, but be submissive to the Lord, to love the Lord, to be steadfast in their heart, to be faithful to God. Christian parent, don't you want that for your kids? Don't you want that for your grandkids? Don't you want that for their kids? Listen, you've got to do more than just bring them to church occasionally. You've got to do way more than that. Your home needs to be a base of worship and discipleship and spiritual training and nurture. How many of you, when your kid comes home from school, say, hey, how'd you do at school? Did you make a good grade? Do you do your homework? Of course you do. You do, that, you, you, you do that probably every day when your kid comes home. When they're getting ready for a, when they're getting ready for a game. Say, hey, do you, have, do you have your shoes ready? Have you practiced? You need to work out. Have you been eating right? Of, of course you do. Because you care about their education. You care about them being good at all their extracurricular activities. You ask them probably all sorts of things. Well, tell me this person that you're dating, or what are they like? Or, all, but why, why can't we do that with the things of God? Why can't we ask them questions and just simple questions like, tell me about your spiritual life. What questions do you have about God? How's your prayer life going? How can I pray for you? Let's pray together. You can do those things with your children. You absolutely can. You can set goals and you can make a plan. These are good goals. Psalm 78, verse 7 through 8. These are good goals that you would want to see for your kids. Here's, here's my goals for my kids that I, that I told them this past week. I want them to be godly, number one. If they're not godly, nothing else matters to me. Nothing else matters to me if they are not godly. I don't care how successful or rich. I don't care how, how much they excel at anything. Um, I, I, none of it matters. I want them to be, that is number one. And number two, I want them to be kingdom-minded. I want them to love God's kingdom. I want them to love coming to church. I want them to be active in a fellowship all their life, their whole life. Number three, I want them to have a Christian family in the fullest sense of what the Bible says about a Christian family. I want them to be a godly husband or a godly wife. I want them to be a godly father or a godly mom. I want them to be everything, their family to be everything that God says to be. Number four, I want them to be trained for ministry. Even if they never do vocational ministry, and whether they do or whether they don't, it's up to them. If they never do vocational ministry, I want them to be trained for ministry. I want them to know how to share their faith. I want them to know how to plan a mission trip. I want them to know how to maybe lead a song from the stage. 
I want them to know how to help out in the kids' area. I want them to be trained to know how to counsel someone. I want them to be trained to do God's work. And number five, I want them to be able to provide for themselves financially so that they can provide for others and be generous in God's kingdom. Not, not just so they can have personal financial security, but so that, so that they can learn to provide for themselves so that they can be generous to others and so that they can support the work of God's kingdom. Have you ever sat down and thought about what are my goals for my kids? This is a good place to start. Scripture is a good place to start. How would you express that for your child? And then once you set those goals, you make a plan. We have plans that we carry out daily, weekly, monthly, and then in an ongoing fashion. Not perfectly, but you have to have a plan. You have to have goals, and you have to have plans. And let me tell you something else you have to have a bunch of. <laughs> a lot of stuff. <laughs> patience. Oh, my goodness. You're going to need so much patience as a family. But even more than that, you're going to have to have faith. You're going to have to have faith that God does something in your child's life that you just can't do. And I believe if God is able to lead us on a mission around the globe, that God is able to help us and to equip us to raise our kids according to his will. But listen, some of you already know this. You may do everything possible, and your child may not embrace your faith. There's some of you here today, you would say, I have adult children, and they've walked away from the Lord, and they don't love the Lord, and they're not walking in the ways of the Lord, and you may feel some guilt over that. It may not be your responsibility. You may have done everything that you could. A child has to make their own choices, and God has to show up and do a work in their life, and you can't ultimately control what your child is going to be when they're 30, and if they're going to be godly or if they're not. But you can fight with every ounce of energy and every fiber in your bones right now while they're in your house to influence them as much as you can. You can do everything you can right now to be as godly as possible and put it on display for them to see. You can do everything you can to say, I'm going to teach them the word of God. I'm going to tell them about Jesus. I'm going to live as godly examples for them to follow. You can do everything you can now, and ultimately you just have to trust God for the rest. You can't, you can't force your kids to be something whenever they grow up. But you can do everything possible now in order to make it happen. Satan has a vision for your kids. And he has a plan. And he has set up the mechanisms of this world to perfectly carry out his plans. Parents, you've got to put on your armor. You've got, you've got to strap on the full armor of God. And you have to fight for your kids. Let's pray. Let's bow our heads and let's respond to God. We really want to ask you to pray. What I really want to ask you to pray today is pretty simple. I want you to pray for your kids, but I want, to I want you to pray for your kids' mom and dad. That's you. The biggest determining factor in a child's future is mom and dad. 
Pray for yourself. Pray that you would be the person that God needs you to be in your home. Pray that your home would be a place of discipleship and worship. And if that's lacking in your own heart, maybe you need to ask Jesus to save you. If you say, I just don't have a desire for spiritual things, and you can look around my house and tell. You come into my house and God is nowhere present. No one reads the Bible, no one prays, no one talks about God. God's just not there. And there's two reasons for that. Either God's not in your heart, and that's why he's not in your home. He's not in your home because he's not in your heart. Maybe you need to pray about that. Or maybe there's just too many idols around. Everybody's preoccupied, everybody's busy. And you put church over in a category and God over in a category and you just haven't let the Lord come and take over your house. Would you dedicate your heart and your home to God right now? You spend some time praying about these things and then Pastor Andy's going to lead us in a song.